Good morning. If you turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, that'd be great. Jonah chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today. We have got through chapters 1 and 2, so exciting. We're on the uh, fifth sermon in an eight-week sermon series on Jonah, calling it God's scandalous grace. Uh, and we've seen God's grace continue to show up time and time again as we've studied the scriptures and, uh, and just seen how he's pursued relentlessly with scandalous grace. And it's scandalous because you wouldn't expect God to continue to pursue because of the, the nature of our heart and that it's, it's set against him. But he continues to pursue us and he continues to pursue us and continues to draw us towards himself. So we're going to get to see that today, uh, continuing that theme, God's scandalous grace, in the second chance he gives to Jonah. So today's sermon is second chance grace. And we're going to look at the, what happens when when his prophet decides, okay, I'm going to go with the flow and go with the plan, and he goes to Nineveh, and we see what happens in Nineveh while he's there. Um, you know, his story started off, he, God said go, and he said no. And he went down instead of up, he went down to Joppa, got on the ship, uh, and went down into the part of that ship as it went out to sea, uh, trying to sail away and flee from the presence of the Lord. He said, no, you know what, I'm, I don't want to do that. Uh, in essence, what he was trying to, to say is, God, I, I'd rather see your judgment on Nineveh and your judgment on me, then go obey. So God says, oh, okay, do you really want to see that? Do you really, do you really want my judgment? Be careful what you wish for. And we see God hurled a mighty storm at the ship that Jonah was on, uh, and, and the sailors and Jonah were all in peril, and, and the ship was going to be torn apart by these waves, and, and they're crying out to all these different gods, trying to figure out which one might rescue them. They even woke Jonah up and said, why don't you pray to your God? Maybe your God would help us. And uh, we see no evidence of him praying to his God, Yahweh. Uh, and ultimately, he comes up on deck and, and basically says, I, I, they say, who are you? What is your business? What, we, we can't find anything that we necessarily done to deserve this. Maybe it's you. And he said, well, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, my profession is a worshiper of, of Yahweh. And they're like, well, who's? And he said, he's the one who created all of the heavens and all of the earth and the dry land and the sea. And it's because of me. This is happening. And, he's, and he goes on. He, he presents that in a clear way to them. And, and, and eventually these, these sailors become followers, believers in Yahweh, his God, because they see that there is, there is a one, there's one big, huge, awesome God that's, uh, that's all around them right then. And then what happens is he says, you have to throw me into the sea. And we talked about his rebellious spirit there. You know, Jonah could have easily said, okay, yeah, there's a storm raging. I, I'm a worshiper of God. If I'm a worshiper of God, then I need to turn myself around back to God away from me. And he could have grabbed a paddle, go an oar, right, and sat down and said, let's, let's go, let's get it going. I'm going back to obey what God has instructed me to do. And I think when, if he would have turned his heart around, because God's after our heart, right? If he would have turned his heart back around, to, back to God, and would have started his journey back to Joppa, to the port that he ran away to, and he was going back to Joppa so he can go then to Nineveh, God would have quieted the storm. But he didn't decide to repent. He didn't decide to change his mind. He still was, was uh, bent on having destruction come upon him and upon Nineveh. That's what he desired. And so much so, he said, you know what? I, I know I could end this suffering by just tossing myself over, overboard. I'm not going to pick up a paddle, but I'll, I, I could toss myself overboard. But you know what? I really don't care if I die, and I don't really care if you die. So if you want this to stop, you're going to have to toss me over yourself. He, was, he was, wasn't even courageous enough to jump over and, and give these sailors a reprieve. And what do they do? They said, no, we can't do that. We don't want your blood on our hands. So they start rowing harder and digging in deeper, trying to get, get a handle on this storm. And, and God's like, no, you can't, you can't do that. My servant has to suffer judgment. 
and they end up tossing him overboard. And then last week we talked about Jonah as he got tossed overboard. He, he gets swallowed by a huge fish. He said the Lord appointed a, a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And then all of chapter 2 was Jonah's psalm, right? his prayer to God. And we think on, on, on the outer, outside looking in, and we, as a cursory glance at it, it's like, oh, Jonah's getting his act together here. It looks good. And what we compared last week was Jonah's prayer to the prayer, repentance prayer of David in Psalm 51, where we could see something very different there, didn't we? We saw, we saw a repentant prayer of David, and we saw what looked more like a counterfeit repentance from Jonah. And that counterfeit repentance, I think in, inside of that prayer, he was, he was certainly thankful. Because he described the, the treacherous journey downward, that spiral downward into the depths of judgment that he, he traveled. And, and he, he thanked God for the fish as a, as a way of salvation for him, that God, God would rescue him from where the peril he was in. And it, it describes it pretty vividly, that the, the time just before he got swallowed up by that fish and how he was feeling and what that felt like and how separated from God he, he knew he was. But God, through judgment and through mercy, gave him a fish. And he stayed in that fish for three days and three nights. And then we talked about, you know, his heart was just changed, wasn't it? Because we saw the fish, it came up on the shore, it kind of just bellied up to the beach, right? As, as a, and it kind of opened its mouth real wide. And we saw Jonah, the prophet of God, and all his splendor walk out, didn't we? That's not what we saw at all. I think we saw is this, this hard-hearted prophet, this rebellious prophet, who still quite didn't get it, right? He didn't quite get what, what God wanted him to do. He might have been thankful that someone, something rescued him, and he was. I'm so thankful I'm not dead and he may have said, you know what, I, I, I don't want divine judgment. I'd rather have divine commission. I'll, I'll go. This is not fun. I want to do this instead. Okay, so that's kind of where he was at. But God, sensing pride still in his heart, what did he do? Pride, I said what last week? Pride makes God want to puke. And what did the fish do? It puked him up onto the shore. Jonah, rescued from a certain death, still dripping with the slime and vomit and stomach acids of this fish, showing the judgment of God still on him because of his pride. And God says, okay, you, you say you've had to change your heart. Let's see what happens next. And that's where we are in chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to see this second chance that God gives his prophet Jonah. Can we pray together? Let's pray and get started. Father, we are grateful to be here today to worship you, God, to, to look at your grace and, and how scandalous it is and how relentless you are with it, that you are pursuing us passionately, that we might enter into your grace. God, as we look at the story of Jonah, may we look at our own lives. May we, may we glean from the text today that, that we also are like Jonah at times, rebellious, prideful. And God, I, I ask that you would help change our heart. You would challenge us to be different. God, you would transform us from the inside out. God, wreck us if we need to be wrecked that we would be overthrown by your grace and transformed and conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. So we are in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, second chance grace today and see what that looks like. See what God's grace continues to look like as we study the text in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Okay, so number one is this. God's grace and his judgment can't be manipulated. God's grace and his judgment can't be manipulated. Let's look at the text, verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. 
So there's the second chance, and we, we've seen this before in different prophets, but usually when it's, it says it comes to them a second time, it's to add on more to the statement. Tell, tell them this also, prophet. Tell them this also, prophet. Now it's God said, you didn't follow anything I asked you to do, and in my word is coming to you a second time. I'm giving you a second chance. But Jonah, we know, wanted to manipulate God. What we saw in Jonah was, I'm going, you said go and, and preach grace or mercy and judgment to Nineveh. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run away because what I'm doing is I'm inviting your, your judgment and your destruction upon myself and upon Nineveh through my rebellion, through my sin. I'm going to run away and I'm going to invite, invite destruction on Nineveh. He wanted that to happen. So he thought, well, God wants to be merciful through me. I'm going to, I'm going to eliminate me as a scenario so mercy can't travel through me. They won't have mercy. They'll have judgment. He's trying to manipulate God. You know, I talk about my kids all the time, and I think it seems like some of you like that. Some of you are probably tired of it. And my kids eventually will be one day, right? But my, my daughter, right, will we'll be sitting down for dinner. It's always that, as a parent, how many times do you want to tell your child to do something? I just want to say this once, right? And as they're so small, it's like, 50 times later, I'm get losing my patience, and I'm trying to just stay focused. This is what I've asked you to do. This is what I know, right? I, in the early service, I said, maybe it gets less a little bit as they, they get older, and then they become teenagers, and it's like double the amount of times you have to tell them, right? I, at least it was for me. But, but it's that, that heart. You know, I, I constantly am telling my daughter, okay, Bailey, what does Daddy want you to do? What is, I've already talked about this three or four times. What does Daddy want you to do? I know what you're saying, but what does daddy want you to do? You know, we'll be sitting down for dinner or getting ready for dinner. Maybe we're cooking dinner and, and Bailey will come to the kitchen and like, I'm hungry and hey, we're going to have dinner in a minute. We'll just, just wait. We'll have dinner. Go and climb up on your stool. Let's get ready for dinner. But I want candy. Can I have candy? No, you can't have candy for dinner. We're, we can maybe have, maybe have a piece of candy after dinner. We'll see how late it gets. But right now we're going to have dinner. And that's, I said it, right? It's done. My daughter should listen. But it's not just that she keeps saying, I want candy, I want candy. She tries to manipulate me. But dad, I really like candy. Oh, I didn't think you really liked it. I just thought you wanted a piece of something you didn't like. Right? So she, you see what she does? It's like, I really like it. So that, make, that makes a world of difference to eating dinner or not eating dinner. And see, I have to give her that second. Okay, Bailey. Don't try to manipulate dad. I know you like it. I know you love a piece of candy. But we're going to have dinner first, okay? And that's what we need to eat first. So it's, it's, it's a parent-toddler relationship. And I think it's the same thing going on with Jonah. It's Father God with his toddler Jonah, his rebellious prophet, that he continues to have to be this daddy to. Say, really, Jonah? And, and he's, he's teaching Jonah a lesson in this, right? See, Jonah believed he could calculate and manipulate God's divine retribution. He, that he would, he would set the course of what God did. But he was wrong. And continually through this text, and especially as we see it today, God met him with his scandalous grace because this, right, this scandalous grace, this was the quality he wanted to grow in Jonah. This was a quality that he did not have a lot of. Jonah was great with judgment. And he was, he was probably great with grace as it pertained to Israel, but when it came to the Assyrians, all he wanted was destruction. All he wanted was judgment. All he wanted was divine retribution against them. So how about you? How about me? Are we trying to manipulate God's grace and God's judgment? 
Are we, are we saying this life is more important and this life is less important to God? Or will we be faithful to say, you know what, all, all of these lives are important to God. And we're going to follow through listening to him and letting his grace live through us. We need to let God grow us in the way he wants to grow us. Maybe it's to grow in grace. Maybe it's to grow in judgment. I, I, I think some of us, listen, we have this, we're, we're very black and white, right? Like this, this is how it is. This is how it should be. There's no grace. It's not gray. There's no grace there. And there are things that are pretty much black and white. Here's what God says to do. But, but as we deal with the hearts of individuals and people, we have to make sure we understand that there's both grace involved and truth, that Jesus came full of both grace and truth, and that you and I are to walk with both grace and truth in its fullness. And I know there are days where I walk with more truth and judgment than I do grace, like Jonah. And God's like, I, I want to show some grace here. I, yes, ju- judgment and truth have to be revealed in order for grace to be grace. So that means on the, on the other scale, the other end of the scale, the spectrum, if you and I are too heavy on grace, that it's too weighted on that, where we let anything go, it doesn't matter what people do, you do what you want, I'll do what I want. You know, so there was a book written that said, Love Wins. That basically says, God, God's going to take care of it all in the end. He loves everybody. Don't worry about talking about truth, talking about judgment, talking about our sin. It's just his grace and love win. It was a mamby-pamby kind of book. Okay, so we have this extreme judgment and, and, and condemnation side, and we have this extreme grace side. It's like, oh, whatever. It's all good. Let's just get a flower and love each other. That's not, that's not what God is calling us to. But sometimes we fall on each side of that spectrum. And where we need to land is right in the middle, full of both grace and truth. Because if we fall too, too far to one side or the other, what we're saying is I'm going to try to manipulate God's truth or God's grace. And we can't do that. Was he saying to you, listen, listen to your daddy, listen, I want you to do this. This is what's best for you. This is what's best for others, that my grace would be seen on your life and in your life, and my grace would be seen in the world around you because of what I've done for you. God's grace is immense, and God will continue to pursue us with that. And he'll pursue us with his truth to shape us up, to get us out of the mentality of, I I can just do whatever I want. We We are worshipers. Our job is like Jonah, a worshiper of Yahweh. That is our our job. Number two, that leads us to number two. God's grace desires us to leave self-directed journeys behind. God's grace desires that we leave self-directed journeys behind. Let's look at the text, verses 2 through 3a. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It says this, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I uh, will tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. And we'll stop there. He says, get up. He says, get ready. You, you've been spit out. You've been thrown up on. You know, it's, you're, it's not looking so good for you. But obviously Jonah, uh, after what Jonah had gone through, we see that he's ready to set aside his self-directed journey. Right? He, he went away from God and tried to flee from his presence, and we can't flee from the presence of God. God, God caught him there. God uh, embraced him with grace, and, and through grace at him, hurled grace at him, and, and judgment at the same time. And after all that he had gone through, he's ready to, to set aside self-directed journeys, and, and, and he wanted to embrace, embrace God's favor and embrace God's directed journey on him. 
So he's, he's ready. He's been kind of set in that mode. Like, okay, God, this is better than this. I, I want to I do this. Now, I think there's still some reluctance on his part, and we'll see that as we go through the text. He's not this prophet that had this great, awesome, repentant prayer. He still made God kind of want to throw up. He still smells of that. And he, he, but all he's like, I really didn't like that feeling of drowning and going to the pit. I'd rather be out of that, walking in, you know, kind of puke and kind of walking maybe even reluctantly with you than being there. So that's where he's at. It says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message I tell you to preach. So God wasn't going to just let him be turned loose. He said, preach the message I will tell you. I think there was some, some leeway sometimes with some of these prophets, and there wasn't sometimes. God said, this is what the Lord says. Tell them this is what the Lord says. Other times, prophets went and prophesied. They went and, and shared the, the uh, judgment of God and the mercy of God to people all around. But, the, but God wasn't going to give them any leeway. It's like, I'm, I'm not, I've told you the message I want you to, to teach and preach, and you, you didn't do that. And, and I'm not going to even let you like, deviate any, bit, any little bit. I'm going to tell you exactly the message I want you to preach. He would be giving him the message. And listen, however Jonah was feeling, whether he was fully on board or he was a little reluctant, what he needed to realize is that in order to set aside self-directed journeys, he needed more and more of God's grace. Because in God's grace, that's the power that we get to obey. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and 12 says this. And Paul, Paul is, is writing this, and Paul had just pleaded with the Lord to, to remove this, this thorn in his flesh that he was dealing with, and, and there was some pride that Paul had been dealing with as well. And, and here's what uh, Jesus replied. He says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for, uh, for you for power, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will, uh, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses and in insults and in catastrophes and persecutions and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, it takes a lot of pride, a lot of ego, a lot of strength to carry, our, carry on our own self-directed journey. I, listen, I love to plan. I love to, to plan everything out in my life and make sure it's all in a row, all my ducks in a row, and I've got it nailed down, and, and, and I'm, I kind of set it there in, in, almost in stone, and then I kind of wait. Like, okay, I'm okay. I can be a little flexible. I'll flex if I need a surprise, something comes up. But I need to be able to humble myself and say, you know what, maybe God has different plans. So I, I know I set plans and thoughts in my mind, and I kind of get myself prepared for what may have to happen. But anymore, what I'm doing in the morning is I get up and say, God, this is your day. Whatever, whatever your schedule is for me today, that's, that's what I want to do. And I wholeheartedly say that. Now, when I leave the house and I go to work or go wherever I'm going, I have to remind myself, God, this is your day. This is your day. What do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to interact with people that I interact with. I let, I let him have that. But I, what I'm doing is saying, I don't want my self-directed journey. I want my God-directed journey, right? I want my journey to be directed by him. And what, what directs the journey? What gives me the strength and power? God's scandalous grace. His grace is sufficient. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace pleads with us to embrace his power and his passion and his presence in our lives then in him we can be strong enough to resist our motives and embrace his motives. All right? Number three, God's grace is as wide as his sovereignty. God's grace is as wide as his sovereignty. Look at the, the last part of verse three, and we'll go into verse, into verse four as well. 
So now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. So Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Listen, Jonah, Jonah had a narrow view of God's grace. And as he saw God's, God's field of vision widening beyond just the promised Israel, by the way, it, all, it never started with Israel. It always started with God, right? When we talk about Abraham, it wasn't Israel then. It was God's creation, God's, God's creation, his people. His grace was wide, and he promised Israel, and, and Israel was there, and Israel was being blessed, and, and Israel was also being judged at times. And God used people like the Assyrians to judge them. But, but his focus, Jonah's focus, was narrow on Israel or on himself. But this was, Scripture says, this translation says, Now Nineveh was an extremely large city. And other translation and other Hebrew manuscripts and texts say this. It was an extremely large city of God or an extremely large city belonging to God. It was interesting because God translated there, it was Elohim. Which if you ever remember our, our time talking about that, Elohim was the creator God. That was in the beginning God. And if, we, if we're thinking about this city belonging to God, what are we thinking about? That his creation resides there. That people, human beings created in the image of God reside in Nineveh. And because they are created in the image of God, our, our vision cannot be narrow. It has to be wide and say these people can know him too. I think you and I tend to narrow our vision sometimes too. Sometimes we think the church is what the American church is. And that's a very, very narrow view. Only certain people or certain classes can be involved or be included. But God says he's pursuing every tribe and every tongue so that everyone would know that he is God. Yes, Jonah, Israel is special. But so was her enemy, Assyria. So was her enemy, enemy Nineveh. You know, I, since 9-11, America has had a, a very abrasive and hard heart against Middle East, the Middle East, against terrorism, right? And as we see daily in the news, stories of terrorist attacks around the world uh, from ISIS, we have this, this hard, bitter, angry heart that they are our enemy and they don't need a message other than here is a bomb. See you later. Because of what you've done to us. But wouldn't you know that those people, those human beings were also created in the image of God. And that God's grace is, is and can be sufficient enough for them as well. I'm not saying we don't defend ourselves and defend our, our freedoms but there is something wider and bigger going on here. The God of the universe, the God that created individuals, loves them and is pursuing them passionately that they might see and know his grace. What you and I ought to be doing is praying for ISIS. What we ought to be doing is praying for missionaries to be raised up there or praying for the missionaries that are already there who are martyring themselves weekly to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as they are, as they are doing that, God's scandalous grace is being seen. I talked to Susan this morning. There are stories of some ISIS members repenting daily. People are repenting and coming to know Yahweh, Elohim, God, because of his scandalous grace. And you and I, we turn a cold shoulder and say, no, no, that's ISIS, man. Send the bomb. Nuke them. 
God's like, I want to nuke them with my grace. I want to, I want to shower them with scandalous grace because that is scandalous, isn't it? It's because it's grace. They aren't getting what they deserve, and neither did we. Amen? God has a wide view of his grace and his sovereignty. He goes on, he says, uh, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days it will be demolished. Right, we talked about it, it was a large city, a three-day walk. And what the text means in this is that it was so large that in order to walk every street and go, go around every street and make sure everyone heard, it would take him three days to walk around it. We talk about, we have uh, some gals that meet on Tuesdays to do a prayer walk, right? And they walk down, just to stay downtown. But if we, if we prayer walk, imagine how long it would take for you to prayer walk Mount Shasta or if you live in Weed or in Dunsmere or McLeod. Imagine how long that might take. It could take a while. I've actually prayer walked McLeod before with a, with a group. It took us all day, right? We had like 10 of us. It was pretty awesome. But God, God said, listen, and he says, I want you to walk every street. It's a three-day journey because you need, he didn't, didn't say, hey, go to the center of town or go find the newspaper editor first and then put out a flyer in the newspaper and make sure all, word gets spread around town that you're going to be in the city square preaching this on such and such a day at such and such time. God did not instruct him to do that. God said, it's going to be a three-day journey. And you're going to go and walk and make sure the highways and byways that you're looking on the alleys, you're making sure you find everyone that this message can go forward. Now we see that there is still some reluctance in him because the scripture says he got one day done. And then later on in, in next week's text, you're going to see that the, the word eventually reached the king. It didn't say that Jonah finally got to the king and, and talked to him. It said the word reached. Now there's two, two philosophies here. Either he was so reluctant that he stopped after one day and just let the word travel and eventually it got to the king. Or a message of destruction that he was so excited to preach, which we'll get into in a minute, after one day of preaching it, he couldn't keep up with it, and it went so fast and so far to the center of town to the king that they all heard. It, it, what would have been a three-day grace trip turned into a one-day grace trip. You know, I want to think about the message here, too, because there is some reluctance on our prophet Jonah. What did he preach? We learned that God said, I'll give you the message. I'm going to give this to you. You'll hear from me in a minute. I'll tell you what I want you to say. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to write it out for you on cue cards. This is what I want you to say. I'm not going to give you a bunch of time to think about how to manipulate that or manipulate my judgment. I'm going to say, this is what I want you to say. Now, we can infer that maybe this, what he said is what God told him to say. And it's kind of weird. It's, it, kind of, it, kind of, it kind of stirs me a little bit because it's, it's not really complete. It doesn't feel complete, right? And we'll get to that. What did he preach? He said, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now, some say that Jonah's only motivation to continue into the city was, was this new word from God, that this was all he had to say. Instead of, instead of the message he had originally said, kind of pointing them more towards Yahweh, God, what, what he, all he has to say now is, in 40 days, you're going down. In 40 days, God's pushing the button just so you know. And Jonah, Jonah wanted that anyway, didn't he? That's what Jonah had hoped for. So maybe part of Jonah was like, maybe I, maybe I did manipulate God enough. Maybe I got God on my side. Maybe he sees the, the, the uh, error in his ways. So he says, 40 days, you're all going down. 40 days, and Nineveh will be demolished. And, and maybe there was more to what he preached, but we don't have that in the text. It's not there. This is all we have. But I think if, if Jonah was excited to continue on and not being reluctant, 
He preached it because he was excited that they were going to be destroyed. Now, there was some history with this word demolished or destroyed, overthrown or overturned, some translations say. The, the same word was used um, when, when the flood came. And there was 40 days and 40 nights of rain, right, this judgment. And then through that, the world was destroyed. So there's this history going on, and Jonah knows that. There's Sodom and Gomorrah, who use the same word, the city was destroyed, right? But, it, but this word can also be used in a, in a slightly different light. And I, I made mention to it earlier, it's like God, God destroying us inside. See, there's this overthrowing that can happen inside of our hearts. And that's what he has to do, right? He, he takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. God overthrows us. And our hearts turn and flip over and become new because of him. And because we know his judgment is there before our sin. See, I believe the message that Jonah received was this message. But the way Jonah took it was, yeah, they're going down. But the way the Ninevites heard it was, we're going to go down unless we let God overthrow our hearts. Unless we let God wreck us. And unless we turn from what we were doing and turn to him. He heard something, they heard something more than that. He was probably reluctant. But God's grace was wide enough for every individual. Here's, here's something about the motives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 and 8 through 18 say this. <clears throat> Paul, is, Paul is writing to the Philippian church uh, from uh, arrest in Rome. And he, he's telling them how, how much joy he has for what God has done. And it says this, Philippians 1.15 starts here, it says, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerity, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. So, so Christ is preached, it says, in some good motives, some, some bad motives, right? Some manipulative motives, some non-manipulative motives. And verse 18 says, what does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. So we had a reluctant prophet, but did it really matter? Did it really matter? Did the, the reluctance in the prophet really matter? We saw a reluctant pr uh, prophet on the deck of the ship when they said, well, who are you? Where do you come from? What's your occupation? I'm a Hebrew. I'm, I'm a worshiper of God. And that was enough that these, these sailors turned their hearts and lives to God. And they believed in God because his grace went before the prophet. And as he comes here and he says, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be demolished. I think here's what scandalous grace was thinking, okay? I, here's what I was thinking. Jonah, as part of the lesson I'm teaching you and the grace that I'm imparting to Nineveh, you're going to bring my message to them. And it won't matter what your motives are, or what the message is, my mercy will be heard and many will turn to me. You can't pick and choose. He says, my grace extends everywhere so that some may bow their hearts, their hearts might be wrecked, and bow their hearts in allegiance to me. And one day, because my sovereignty extends everywhere, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. It, it, I don't think God cared at that point. He was, the lesson was about growing in grace and letting grace triumph through the hearts of the people that stood condemned. That grace would triumph there. 
And you and I have to stop thinking that we deserve grace and they don't deserve grace. That's pride. Grace isn't deserved. That's why it's grace. And whether I receive it or someone in Iraq receives it or someone in Russia receives it or someone in in India receives it or anywhere around the world to the uttermost parts, God's grace is what goes before and God's grace is what he's giving people and and, and what he's using to draw them to himself. So, So what happens? What's next? Well, that's number four. Let's see what happened. God's judgment and grace lead to repentance. God's judgment and grace lead to repentance. Let's look at verse 5. So he proclaimed 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Verse 5. The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. There is a change happening here. And this word, this phrase, they believed in God, is the same phrase that was used of Abraham when he believed in God, when he trusted God, and it was credited it to him as righteousness. These people became believers in Yahweh. They, they trusted and turned their hearts towards him. And, and we say, how in the world, how in the world did they believe? How in the world did they, they embrace this message of overturning, right? This destructive message. Well, there, there was... A message to them as well. As, 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 as good, and I told, told you this a minute ago, Jonah thought this destructive message was there, but they could have easily seen this word overthrown and understood that, that we will be overthrown by God unless we let God overthrow our hearts. We, there has to be a change. There's power in that. And, and that could have been easy. That could have been done. And, and yes, God can totally do that. God, see, God can use... His mercy, His grace through, through our flops. There are, listen, there are days I come up here to preach, and I, again, I tell you every, every time, I st- sit there in that pew, God, this is yours, not mine. You, you be the person that's controlling this. I don't want this to be me. It's of you. And I get up here, and I, and I just feel like, man, that flopped. That flopped. And that's Satan, right? And, that's, and that's, I, need to, I need to check my heart on that. But there are so many times I felt that I, it's just, I flopped. And then afterwards, people are like, man, that was, that was so convicting. I, I'm so thankful that you shared that part. Or I, this is what I learned from that. I'm like, wow, see, God can take someone like me that's a flop, and he can take his amazing, scandalous grace and impart wisdom and truth in people's lives that they would hear and know and understand and believe the gospel. Amen? I, I struggle with being completely clear with people when I'm, when I'm having conversations with them about the gospel. And I know you do too. I know there's times you say, I don't know that I know enough. No, God's mercy and grace knows enough. Just be faithful. Even if you're a faithful flop, just be faithful to, to, to share the grace of God. Get the words out and let God take care of it. Because that's what he did here. But there is, there is another side of this that I, I really find interesting and, and because it shows the power of the resurrection that we see in Jesus and the, and the power of the resurrection that we need because of our sin. Turn, we're done at Jonah. Turn to Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 29 and 30. I want you to think. I'm going to set the stage here for a minute. We don't know how much time has passed. We know he said get up and go, and he said no, and he left. 
I don't know how much time passed between that point and the time he got to Joppa, from Joppa to the ship and how long it took for the ship to get a storm. And after the storm, how long, you know, he, then he got thrown overboard and then how long, how far away he was and where he got spit up and how long it took the sailors to get back to shore. We don't know some of those things. But I want you to imagine this, this kind of, this would not be outside the realm of God's grace to accomplish. It may sound like, oh, that's kind of a far-fetched story, Brandon. And there's a little bit of evidence here, proof that will we'll show that. And I'm not saying this is what happened, but this sure could have happened. He goes down to Joppa, and he gets on the dock. Right? And he's, he's there on the dock, and he says, he says to the guy, he's waiting for the ship, right? He's, the ship's getting loaded, and he's waiting. He's like, yeah, I, I was a prophet, a guy. They got to talking. Oh, what do you do for a living? You talked about the weather a little bit, and then what do you do for a living? Well, I'm, 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 a God, I'm God's prophet. I'm from Israel. Oh. And this guy, maybe this guy was a friend of a Ninevite. Or maybe he was a Ninevite, just happened to be in the area. And he starts to tell him a story. Can you believe it? God wants me to go over there and tell ISIS, I mean, tell Nineveh, that they, that they can receive his mercy. That they're wrong and they, they need judgment, but that, that God is merciful. And I, I don't want to do it. I'm so sick of them attacking us. I want God just to wipe them off the face of the earth. In fact, I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to, I'm going to go out to see. I'm going to go to Tarshish. And God's, God probably will get a hold of me. I'll probably die, but I really, I'd rather die than go do this mission. So he tells a story to his guy on the dock or the guy passing by at the, at the taco stand. And, and that guy, huh, that's weird. And he gets home and he starts telling this story about this prophet named Jonah. Did, hey, did you know, honey, did you know this? Jonah, this guy, this prophet of God in Israel, he was, he was supposed to come here and tell us that we're in big trouble. We got some problems. That we, that we need God's mercy. Can you believe that? And he, and he didn't do it. He walked away. He went out on this, on this ship. He tried to escape God. Makes you think, huh? So they got to talking in their little groups and gossip around town. And then a little later on, you know, there's this, these sailors that came off, the, off at Joppa again with this ship that was just kind of battered and barely, barely standing together. And they're like, what happened? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. This, this prophet of God. I mean, the real true God. Trust me, he's the real true God. We saw him evident out there. We, this prophet of God rebelled. We, he made us toss him over the edge because he wouldn't do it himself. The, the storm was raging, and, his, and God's grace was raging upon him. And it was, it was amazing that this prophet who was supposed to go to Nineveh didn't go. He went on our ship, and he, man, he caused some distress. But fortunately, God, God showed himself to us. But, man, we, we tossed him, and he is as good as dead, trust me. God dealt with that guy. We're glad we're not him. So word reaches the shore, and maybe word reaches Nineveh. Now there's a little more pairing there, like this prophet who, who went out and went away from God. What happened? He got dead, right? He was not to do that. And there's a story going on, this, this, almost like this epic tale of what, what should have been but what wasn't. And it's in the back of everyone's mind or maybe in the front of their mind. And then one day, at the city gates, this guy named Jonah walks through. And they are like, you are supposed to be dead. How is this possible? Let's read our text real quick and we'll go into that. Verse 29 and 30. As the crowds were increasing, he began saying, This generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Well, Jonah certainly became a sign to Nineveh. 
Now, whether it was just after that or before, I don't know. But there's some inference here that maybe, maybe word got out and God was working on the heart of Nineveh before Jonah ever even arrived. That when Jonah walked through the gate, we knew that Jonah's sinful rebellion, they knew the story that Jonah's sinful rebellion took him to the depths where he was as good as dead. But in God's grace, he provided judgment and salvation through the belly of a fish. And after three days, his grace delivered him or resurrected Jonah back to the shore, alive. And the sign is compared to that of Jesus because the sin of our lives put Jesus on the cross and sent him to the pit of separation from God. He was buried in a tomb, a tomb of judgment, but that tomb was his salvation because he was God and God raised from the dead after three days. There was victory in the resurrection. And we understand that this judgment that was passed on Jonah and the judgment that was passed on Jesus is our hope that we have because in doing so, in placing judgment on Jonah, Nineveh got to understand and see, and it became a sign of God's gracious resurrection life. And as God placed judgment on Jesus, and as he rose from the dead, it's a sign to you and I of God's gracious resurrection life that we can have in Christ. And Romans goes on to say in Romans 2, 4, or do you despise the riches of his kindness? See, there's judgment in full view. But then judgment has to be there so grace can be shown up as kindness. You despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint and patience, not recognizing that his kindness, God's kindness, his scandalous grace is intended to lead us to repentance. God's intention is to overthrow our hearts. And when they heard, they believed in God. I found that, that Luke passage interesting as it pointed to a sign. It was a resurrection that exemplified the grace of God and his power to save potentially Nineveh, but it certainly has been a sign for you and I of his, God's power to save us. The hope is that you and I would let our heart be overthrown by the power and grace of his resurrection. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are our Lord, that we can look to you and, and that you have brought us grace upon grace upon grace, but not only grace, you brought us grace in, in, the, in the path of judgment and that you placed that judgment on Jesus and gave us grace through his death and through his resurrection that we might have life. And God, we celebrate that life today. We are so grateful for the life you've given us through Christ. It is not of ourselves, it's not of our own self-directed journey, it is because of your Holy Spirit drawing us to yourself that you rescued us. God, as we, as we go about our business and our, and our daily lives, God, help us to be the people of grace that impart grace every, up every highway, every byway, every alley to the uttermost parts of the earth that, God, everyone would know and hear and see about not only your judgment but about your grace that they can have. May they see that sign of life that we, we show because of Christ. And they may they be drawn to life as well. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close in worship today, it's our response to God.